Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I've got John Shaw with me. As many of our listeners will know, John Shaw is the General Secretary of the Committee on Home Missions and Church Extension, works out of the office in Willow Grove. John, good to have you here. How's life at the home office in Willow Grove in kind of a strange time uh, that we're all dealing with? Yeah, it is a strange time, and it's been an interesting time to think about church planting when for a while Mission Works weren't meeting. Uh, but we've seen the Lord bless in crazy, unexpected ways. Most of our mission works, when they did come back for worship, there were 10, 15, 20 new people that had found them during separation. So it's just a good reminder that uh, the Lord isn't bound or uh, doesn't face the barriers that we face and that He's faithful. So all in all, I would say just continual reminders of God's goodness. Well, thanks for your time today. We, we have John here for a specific reason today. This is the first installment of a new series on Outward OPC focusing on uh, communication and how we love people in our speech and in our actions. Uh, some of you may be here because you read a New Horizons article that John published uh, this month. And John, I thought maybe you could sort of set some context for listeners and those who may be coming to this cold these type of series, we're planning on spending, you know, several posts, a couple months of posts on this. These series don't come out of the middle of nowhere. They come from you and Al and your labors with church planters and, and your visits to churches. And as you talk to the committee, could you set some context? Why now? Why this is important? Kind of what you're thinking about to get people uh, in the same mindset that, that you all are thinking about with this series? Yeah, happy to do that. Um you're right that it doesn't come out of the blue. There's there's a reason behind it, and there's a at least 12 months. It's really more than that, but in particular, a few things over the last 12 months that that just seem to all come together in such a way to make us think this is important to talk about. Uh, some of it's teaching the Bible. You know, I had an opportunity a year ago to speak at a family conference out in the Northwest and work through the Book of First Thessalonians first time I've taught from that book in any kind of extensive way. And as we got to chapter two, uh, I saw these images of Paul's ministry that were, they shouldn't have been that surprising to me, but it was, it was interesting to see him focus on image of a mother and how she's gentle and caring for her children and the image of a father who loves and cares for his children. Uh, and, And it was interesting in part because a lot of times we think about ministry, we're thinking about things like the prophetic voice and having to confront error. Um, And we can be, we we can fall in love with the images of battle and courage and fighting. And to see Paul uh, as he's speaking to this young congregation, express images of gentleness and care. That that was an important reminder for me. And I think it's, it's useful uh, at the same time, we started in our home group working through the book of James. And if you spent much time in James, you know how many times you have this really hard teaching about how you speak and how you listen 
And again, just important reminders for a pastor, just as an example, who in some ways could think that his job is to speak. That's what he's, he's called to do. And yet our job is also to listen and to be really careful uh, in how we speak. And so those images in James 3 are just big challenges for us. So that's biblical context. And, you know, at the end of working through the book of James in our home group, then we have all the things that have happened in the past few months, uh, really since February and March. Um, you know, the struggles with this virus that is wreaking havoc and the political discord and the divisiveness and the angry language that honestly fought, filters its way into the church when we're supposed to be influencing the world. It seems as if in some ways we're being influenced by the world. And then, of course, the horrific event in Minneapolis, the police officer, multiple police officers abusing power and murder and, you know, all the reaction from that and wrestling through as a church. How do we listen really well to people who have suffered in ways that I have not? And how does that change how I speak to them, with them, how I speak the gospel? We just have a lot of challenges here. And I think we as a, as a church and as the Orthodox Presbyterian Church would do well to slow down and, and think about how our actions, how our listening, and how our speaking can either serve well our gospel witness or uh, make gospel witness really difficult. So that's that's a pretty long story, but it, it's a big issue. And if I could sum it up in this way, then, as we come to the fall of 2020, we're in an election year, which is uh, every election year seems to be more divisive than the last in our nation, where heightened rhetoric that communicates anything but love for those with whom people disagree, uh, that, that's the character of speech that we're going to see on the news, you know, in our neighborhoods. And for us to stop and think, how do we as a church do something different to make it really clear that this is not how Jesus has called us to love and how to speak? Uh, this is part of our, uh, our gospel call. And so it seemed like a good time to stop and, and think about uh, how we can do that in a variety of contexts in ministry. In your um, New Horizons article, uh, so for people who may be coming to this podcast later, this is the September of 2020 issue of New Horizons. I, I don't really want to go back and rehearse the whole article. People may have already read it. People probably will read it. But there was one thing that I wanted to highlight that maybe you could um, flesh out a little bit. You mentioned, I'm kind of just paraphrasing here. You mentioned that people are made in the image of God. They're worth knowing. They're worth loving. They're worth loving in action. They're worth loving in our speech. And this is a theme that I've heard from you in church planter training. I've heard from you in different contexts. I wonder, as we move a little bit more to the specifics of things we see in our own communication and actions that, that may not match up and, and, and places we want to improve and go, I wonder if you could take that idea, image of God, worth knowing, worth loving, and start to maybe get a little bit specific about what that looks like in your mind and how that shapes, in particular, our speech um, in, in these different areas, in these different contexts, whether it's, you know, examples you have in mind or things, but can you start to, can you start to open it up a little bit to the practical of, of why that's true and how that works itself out? Yeah. Uh, it's interesting, by the way, that um, 
this is probably good for us as pastors to remember. It's not like I came up with some great idea to apply image of God to speech and actions. James does that very specifically. And if you study the book of James, he, he's continually repeating themes that his brother, Jesus, taught. You know, we have in our tradition this robust view of, of what it means to be made in the image of God. Um, you know, Genesis 1 ends, creation day 6 ends with the creation of men and women made in the image of God. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a theme throughout Scripture, but it's also significant in, in Reformed theology. And it calls us to a respect for and a love for all men and women. I think this is the part that we sometimes forget. It's not just those who've been saved and who've been remade, new birth, new heart, all those those kinds of lang- that kind of language that we use. It's not just those people who have value. Everybody, male and female, are made in the image of God. It it means that they reflect all those different attributes of God in beautiful ways. Whether it's uh, that God is loving, merciful, compassionate slow to anger, all, all these things that we know to be true about God, they, they find a reference point, they're reflected in everyone that we meet. If we could grasp that, I think it would change how we view people. And one of the other things that's characteristic of people because they're made in the image of God is that they have souls that will never die. So they have value today, and they will exist in some form forever. Now, uh, you know, just think about how this changes how we think about the person that we meet, our next door neighbor, for instance. If you have a neighbor that you've gotten to know, you start to see particular qualities in them that are attractive, that are useful, uh, ways in which they uniquely contribute to their family, their neighborhood, their workplace, their various relationships. Those qualities about them that are attractive and valuable are part of how God made them after His image. And so every person we meet contributes in some unique way because they're made in the image of God. So that when we're, when we're talking to unbelieving neighbors, they're not a target that we're aiming for. Uh, and that should change how, how we speak to them. And it changes in a couple very specific ways. One, we don't see that see the value of our relationship with them to simply be can we convince them to trust in Jesus so they can be part of the kingdom of God? Now, that's our ultimate aim in loving them, is that they would know and love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind, of course. But if that's the only reason we talk to them, we're missing something. They're valuable because they reflect the beauty of our God. They're also valuable in the ways that they contribute, even in our relationships. We can learn from them. Uh, We can benefit from our relationship with them. So it means that we're not just simply saying, if I can't get to the gospel conversation in 15 minutes, then I might as well not talk to them. And if we're honest, I think sometimes that's how we view people. There's a sales job that needs to happen. And if I can get to the hook in 15 minutes and then make a credible defense of the gospel, that's what the conversation was for. It's the only reason I need to know them. And if they reject that message, I probably need to move on to some other person, because there's no longer a reason for me to communicate with them if they don't believe and trust in Jesus. Now, we know that's wrong. What I just described, there's nobody listening who hears that and says that, you know, that's how I view people and it's okay. We know it's wrong, but if we're honest with ourselves, it's often how we interact with people. 
And so it should change why we talk to them. It should change how we talk to someone. It should change the amount of time and energy we're willing to invest in them. And then if we get to the next piece of, of this idea that, that they have a soul that will never die, we invest in them as well and persevere in that investment because our desire in the end, uh, beyond just getting to know them and, and gaining value from our relationship with them, is that we value them so much that we want them to know what we value. And what do we value first above everything else is, is our Savior. And we want them to value our Savior as well. So we don't get into the relationship in a transactional way where the only reason that this makes sense, there's no cost-benefit analysis here. This relationship only matters if I can get them into the kingdom. And if there's no progress toward that end, why would I bother? No, I bother because, because they're valuable. That was a long answer. But, but I think it's important for us to wrestle through. People are valuable because God made them and he made them in his image. They're the most valuable a commodity in the whole of creation are men and women. And we should love them well because we're modeling the love of our God and of our King. Yeah, I think that was worth the time. Uh, you're hitting a topic there that, that you'll know well. Um, a lot of our former podcast interviews, a lot of our video interviews on Outward OBC, guys have been, church planters have been hitting a note uh, that has been uh, coming through quite clearly that as, and particularly men that we think maybe are uh, focusing a little bit more on outreach, they're seeing God's blessing upon their outreach, they're talking about relationships that are five years old with people in the community. They're, they're talking about not even having people in their Bible study or their church group for a year and a half or two years. And that's a very different paradigm in thinking about the process of an, uh, you know, an outsider, an unbeliever, getting into the realm of ministry and then visiting ministry and then maybe becoming a Christian. It's just, it's, you know, and I think people have responded to that, that uh, whether it's Brad Peppo or Eric Watkins, some of the, some of the men that we've interviewed talking about that they're just spending time with people and getting to know them. And in our world that, that takes time. So I think you're hitting, you know, that note and emphasizing something that's been coming out on outward OPC uh, quite a bit. Can I add one more thing to that? Sure. Uh, this is one of the ways that Christians can stand out. How many people in the world are willing to invest years and years in their neighbor simply because they they believe that their neighbor is valuable? People notice it. It's different. And if we can have that kind of sustained, persevering, loving relationship with our neighbors, they notice it. It's it's different. And we don't do it for that reason. We do it because because of what we're called to and and we value it, but they'll notice it's different. So, so far in our conversation, we've, we've probably been talking about things that people are really sort of resonating with, shaking their heads in agreement. Maybe they'd like some training. Maybe they'd like some, some help. And we'll get to that in a, in a couple of minutes as we talk about what's going to be in this series. But if I could maybe twist the needle a little bit here, um, in your New Horizons article, you picked two areas to talk about that are a bit more controversial, two areas um, that maybe not everybody's nodding their head over various examples that, you know, some are, are thinking this communication's fine and others are thinking this communication isn't fine. And you pick social media, which is uh, maybe an obvious place, and you pick some of the uh, issues during the pandemic time. I thought maybe if, if we could turn to social media for a minute. In, in, in talking to you, I, I thought about not singling out 
examples, but just talking in general, you mentioned in your New Horizons article the obvious things that we know about social media, that it is just set up to get more eyes, to get more controversy, to be kind of combative, to be freewheeling in tone and content. And and everybody would, would nod their head on that. But I wonder about thoughts on things that we see in social media that maybe people are just thinking are fine, but they're not contemplating the things you just said about the images we should be thinking about, about the implications to people watching our social media accounts that maybe we aren't thinking about when we post, you know, we, we kind of think we're posting with our reformed friends and we post something funny or we post something sharp, not realizing that all of their friends, many of whom may be unbelievers, are seeing that. What are your thoughts in general? Before I give you some particulars, flesh out, I'll give you more time than a New Horizons article will allow you in word count. Can you flesh out social media specifics about kind of what you're thinking about and the impact on our witness to outsiders? Yeah, first, first of all, the thing to remember is you have no idea how many people are going to see what you write. I think that's a basic principle that we somehow continually forget. You could think that two or three of your friends, you have two or three friends in mind when you post something that's a sharp critique of someone you disagree with, and it could end up being hundreds or thousands. And we all know examples of that, but that's something important to remember. The second thing to remember is not everybody agrees with you, which is okay. I'm not suggesting you should only say things that people agree with, but if they don't agree with you, we should be thinking, am I at least presenting their argument in a fair way? Am I showing respect for them as human beings? Am I belittling them? I mean, you start to think about, I would say, just go to, you know, James 3. What's the warning there about the tongue? And by the way, when you type something, this is an application of your tongue. Your fingers are an expression of of your speech. A little spark can set a whole forest on fire. That's sometimes what we're doing on social media. When we attack a person or an idea without respecting the person or the idea in the way that that, uh, is deserved. And in so doing, we set fire to relationships. And I bet some of you have examples of that that you've seen or even experienced, where relationships were completely destroyed uh, because somebody typed something. And I guess the last thing to remember, just in general, is you can't take it back. Uh, You think you can, but once you put it online... It's let loose. Again, that image of a spark that sets a whole forest on fire. Often, by the time it's been tweeted or posted, you've lost the opportunity to take it back. So just knowing those things in general should make us really slow to speak in any kind of significant way uh, on social media. Yeah, and it seems like one of the things I've noticed is if you think that you are talking to a you know a small group of friends, let's say, one of the things that people seem to forget is, is this post how you want to introduce yourself to your reformed friends' friends? I don't, I don't think we think that every post could be an introduction to somebody's friend, and now they hear, you know, we, we could talk about specifics. Um, I wonder what you think about that, you know, dynamic as well. Yeah, and... I definitely agree with that. So you're posting to people that you've never met before. So this is your first impression. And I think a good test is if I met this person face-to-face, is that how I'd want to introduce myself to them? Because that's what you're doing. But secondly, almost more more troublesome 
is that you've just changed your friend's relationship with their friends because they're now associated with somebody who said what you said. They had to make a decision. Do I like it? Do I say, why did you post that? How am I going to react to this? And how does that affect all my other relationships? So you've both introduced yourself to new people in, in a way that might not be helpful. And you've also changed your friend's relationship with their friends. Yeah, that's a great point. So given, given using that sort of guideline, then maybe that makes the, the next couple examples somewhat easy, but I think it's worth everybody listening to this think about, and maybe you could just kind of offer a few comments. Here are some categories that came to mind for me. There are a lot of memes that go around that make fun of other people's theology. And if you are sitting in a room with three reformed friends, they can actually be really funny when you see them. You, you get first, you know, you're not processing, you're just kind of watching and it's just a genuinely creative, you know, and it might be sort of jesting, it might not be this harsh critique, but, but what does what we're just talking about say about regularly sharing memes that poke at people who aren't reformed, people who don't believe this, people who don't believe that, what are your thoughts on that? Because I don't think people would necessarily come to social media thinking that's a problem. And maybe we lose our, our head nodding right now, but let's let's talk about a couple of these examples. What do you think of those? Um, you know, first of all, think about context. If I was in a room of a thousand people, is this the, the introduction that I would want to make? It's the same principle again, right? But but we lose it, we, we lose sight of it because it probably is genuinely funny. And there's probably, you know, without having one in front of me, but there's probably truth to it. And there's probably a, even a place for that kind of humor to get at truth in a really controlled context. This isn't a controlled context. Secondly, especially pastors and elders, we're setting an example for our church, the people that we're called to shepherd. And Man, I, I just think we we've, we say things on social media, we share memes, we communicate in a way that we would not want to be encouraging our church to do without a whole lot more thought. And, and so we're setting a bad example. Uh, and, and I guess thirdly, if we really care about those issues that the meme is making fun of, what's the most effective way to help people who have embraced those theological errors? Is it to taunt them and make fun of them in a public environment that will immediately make them defensive? Or is it to take the time and make the investment in people that we know who hold those positions? So again, thinking about pastors and elders, there are probably people who have visited or are visiting your church who in some way are sympathetic to those things you're making fun of, who really need to talk to you about it, and they need you to invest time in them. Are they going to invest time with you in wrestling through those issues if you're making fun of them online, even unintentionally? So we've just put up huge barriers to be able to disciple people who, uh, who are sympathetic to some of those theological errors that we're making fun of. Yeah, and I think uh, you know this, but for the sake of listeners, uh, when I'm asking these couple questions, I'm not at all intending to lead you to, to lay down lines. You can do this. You can't do that on social media. But I think it helps to make it really concrete with things that maybe people aren't immediately coming to mind. There are certain things we all know we can't post. And we see something on our wall and we say, well, I never share that. But what about these other things? And a second one that came to mind for me um, thinking about talking to you was in the political world, 
I notice a certain trend among reform folks. They do tend to stay away from the candidates and the specifics of, you know, supporting, rebuking, those types of things. But I've noticed one thing. They tend to be quick to share things either about a hot-button issue, gun rights, Second Amendment, you know, you could pick all kinds of different things, not, not saying whether those things right, wrong, or other, but they pick those things to share, to talk about as their introduction. Um, or they'll link an article from a really obscure, you know, what generally would be considered a far this wing, far that wing quotes around the word news site. And I wonder if you have any thoughts, again, just trying to, to think about things that, that people may be taking for granted, but may be causing these difficulties in relationships and introducing yourself. Are you tracking with that at all makes sense or, or not so much? Yeah, I, I think just a couple of principles to think about. One, you should, you should be really careful sharing articles unless you have confirmed that they're true and trustworthy. That's a basic ninth commandment principle. Uh, so before we even get to some of the side issues, you know, we should take the ninth commandment seriously. And, and we should post things only if we know them to be true. Uh, secondly, I would guess, and honestly, I would hope that our churches are filled with people from a variety of political viewpoints. And again, I just wonder if our hope is to disciple people well, where we can have meaningful conversations about issues, even where we disagree, and thinking about how the Bible applies to issues of life, godliness, and even how we think about politics, if we're taunting unnamed people or group people groups about political issues, then those people in our church who hold those views or are sympathetic to them aren't going to want to talk to us. And, 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 you know, you again have, have ninth commandment issues. Are we defending their good name, protecting their reputation, uh, loving them in those kinds of ways? And then lastly, I think this is a big deal. For the most part, not that I'm suggesting that you shouldn't care about politics and shouldn't be an informed voter and all those kinds of things, but I don't think we want to be defined by politics as a person, not just as a church, but as a person. Uh, I think it's one of the big problems in our nation right now is everybody defines themselves and divides themselves according to politics. And so I don't have a Facebook page, but if I did, I think I probably would have a rule that I would never post about politics because we don't want to divide ourselves according to those issues, both inside and outside the church. And so I think there are a lot of wisdom questions. You, you know, your, your comment before about we're not trying to set down rules. I think that's really important. It's wisdom questions. Just because I wouldn't post something doesn't mean you shouldn't, those kind of things. But there are a lot of wisdom questions we should be asking about relationships and witness you know, every time that we hit uh, a button to post or to tweet. And then maybe the last one on this, another category I was thinking about, there are a lot of posts on social media that end up being about very painful issues. A court case, a Supreme Court case on abortion is a political issue, but it's also a very painful issue for a lot of people. So how we post about 
issues of life, how we post about sanctity of life, how we post about a Supreme Court case, uh, and even even other moral issues, uh, not just picking that issue, but other moral issues. I wonder if you want to expand on, I, I guess I'm prompting you with the idea that we tend to think we're speaking to an idea, a court case, but a court case has scarring and pain and people behind it, whichever way the court case goes, and whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And I don't. I think that's another category that people don't have in their mind as they go to the keyboard and share or like or write in response to a certain post. Your your thoughts on that as a last category? Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple initial thoughts. People are more important than my opinions. You know, if we could grasp that, that would be a a big step for us. Now, understand, I didn't say people are more important than truth. I think there, there's some kind of relationship of equality to work out there between people and truth. But my opinions, people are significantly more important than my opinions. Secondly, it, it's probably helpful for us to remember, this is kind of what you were alluding to, but that every idea, political issue, whatever that we post about, we should be thinking about people who have been or will be impacted by it and how our comments are received by them. Because again, people more important than my opinions. Uh, you know, we have to keep thinking about this. People are impacted by what we say. Again, James 3. I mean, it talks about being able to tame wild beasts, but you can't tame the tongue. It talks about the destructive power of the tongue. Same is true on social media, and in some ways it's amplified on social media, because people on there are already, their emotions are ramped up before we write anything. And so continually thinking about this, is this the kind of issue that I'm willing to post about in such a way that it might ruin my relationship with somebody who reads it? I'm willing to have to lose relationships over the truth of the gospel. I'm not willing to have relationships damaged over political decisions, Supreme Court decisions, except so much as it has to do with the truth of the gospel. And then lastly, I, you know, this is similar to something I mentioned before. Uh, keep asking the question, is social media the best place for this conversation? So abortion, there's no question what the Bible teaches about life. And I think, I personally, I think the answer is really clear as far as abortion because of what we know to be true about life and what God requires. That doesn't mean that I should feel compelled to write about abortion on social media. Social media, to me, you know, if we could get closer to making it about, you know, particular areas of interest like music or sports or whatever, and about relate, you know, keeping in touch with friends and family, but social media is really useful for that. It's a really bad place for substantive discussions, and generally, when we try to have substantive discussions on social media, people get hurt. Yeah, thanks for thinking about those, and uh, just to reiterate for people listening, it's. I'm just trying to take us to a very specific thing that we maybe aren't thinking about as we think about those to, to get that idea of the people behind these things. And I think what you just said there at the end is, is really important. Is this the place to do this? You know, there, there may be things that you, you need to sit down at dinner or over coffee with people. Do you want to blast it to another 199 people watching that conversation? If you were going to sit down with a friend of yours to talk about a difficult issue, would you want 199 strangers watching that conversation? Yeah. 
So then let's uh, let's turn to this series uh, that is coming after this podcast. If I can just sort of prime the pump a little bit, and I'm going to let you pick some things that are you know of interest to you or that you want to highlight. But but I think people know that I'm involved with you and the committee on working out this series. So I have a list of the the topics. You know we have we have some some men that that we feel like they're good at building relationships with their neighbors, going to talk about how they do that and, and how we can be better at that. We've got uh, some guys that are going to be talking about really, just to be quite honest, how, how we as reformed people can still be really reformed, but can also be really normal. You know, can, can you, and, and being normal, you can still have quirks about you, but how do you relate to people and, and how do you, you know, fit into the cultural paths that are going forward. We've got um, at least one man talking about what, how do you respond when you're the only Christian in a room? We've got a couple men who come from non-reformed churches talking about maybe some things they've learned and what they've brought forward into a really reformed world and really reformed church that, that helps them. Uh, we've got some hard issues that are going to be talked about, talked about may- maybe things like race, uh, gender in the church, and, and, and things like that. And then we've got some practical ideas and, and some how to do it in there. But I wonder, as I just throw that out for the listeners to orient them a little bit, I wonder what things you're thinking about, I wonder what things you're looking forward to, and if you could highlight for some people what they can expect coming forward over the next, as it's spread out over the next couple months or so. Yeah, so um, first of all, I think part of what I'm looking forward to is is the the guys who've agreed to participate and share. I continue to learn from them, and I'm hoping that that you'll benefit in the same way. They've thought the topics they're writing about or speaking about, they've thought about deeply. They've talked to others extensively. They've lived out, so they haven't just thought about these ideas. They've actually lived them out in significant ways. And these are the kinds of guys that I turn to to say, help me understand how to do this more effectively. So first of all, just just the guys who've agreed to participate, I'm really excited about that. A couple topics uh, that I think are really helpful. One of the one of the brothers is going to write about teaching hard concepts, hard theological concepts in uh, common language. So, how do we communicate the gospel? This supernatural entrance of the eternal God into the world in human flesh to save a people. How do we begin to? communicate that gospel in ways that all sorts of people from different backgrounds can understand. And I've read some things from from him on this, and I think it's going to be really helpful. Another friend is going to share about welcoming the strangers. He's going to talk about hospitality, uh, refugee ministry, welcoming new people into the church. I mean, that, that's going to be really helpful because I think we're all continually wrestling through how do I do that more effectively. I am really excited about the group of guys that uh, are going to talk to us about what they've learned from churches outside of the uh, Reformed spectrum. These are uniquely gifted guys, and I think in part uniquely gifted because of their experience before they were Reformed pastors. And I'm excited for you to to hear those things. A- and then what I think is going to be the last topic is uh, welcoming new people into Reformed worship. So especially pastors and elders, as you're thinking about how to lead a worship service and and, you know, we've all been there, right, where we're up there in front of the group and we see a bunch of people who are new and we wonder, are they getting any of this? To think really carefully about how to welcome uh, new people into Reformed worship and Reformed preaching in a way that, that they can 
learn some of the beauty of what it means that God welcomes us into his throne room, that's going to be a big deal. So I'm excited about that as well. But again, I'm mostly excited. The Lord has blessed uh, his church, and he's blessed this particular branch of his church with some really gifted pastors, and I'm looking forward to hearing them share some of what they've learned and practiced. We've both highlighted there in previewing the series a number of things that are very relevant to pastors and elders. I wonder if you could just speak for a minute about a vast majority of people who subscribe to Outward OPC and listen to the podcast and read the articles about, uh, you and I both know it's going to be very relevant to them, even though we just highlighted Pastor Nelder. But do you want to speak to that just for a minute so that people be encouraged to know why they should not tune out until this is over? Sure. Right off the bat, you know, we're leading off with conversation about welcoming the stranger. We all need to do that. That's not just a, you know, pastor during a worship service. That's somebody walks in the church and usually the first person they meet is not a pastor or an elder. It's it's somebody in the church. Uh, but also right after that, we're going to hear a little bit about how to build relationships with neighbors. I think we all have neighbors and uh, we need to think carefully about how to do that. We have neighbors of all different types and different backgrounds. So how do we think carefully about how to invest well in our neighbors? And, and then the the one that I'm maybe most excited about is the one that, that you just talked about, Brad, about walking. What is it like, or how does a Christian walk into a room filled with unbelievers? We all experience that. We sometimes feel the strangeness of it. We, we're not sure how we fit into this room. And this brother has thought about it well. He's trained people in it, multiple church plants. And, uh, you know, that's an experience that we can all uh, learn from. Yeah, I think that helps just to clarify for lots of our listeners. Well, John, thanks for taking the time and uh, digging into some of these specifics that I asked you about that you probably didn't know were coming and uh, touching on what's coming. I think this will be valuable. I know we're going to hear from you again throughout this series a couple times. Uh, but we'll look forward to, to hearing in the next couple of weeks some of those things we've highlighted. So thanks for taking the time today. Glad to do it and looking forward to learning with, with all of you. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.